Once again, happy Pentecost. Today we celebrate the church's birthday. And we just heard a portion of the first sermon, first Christian sermon, that was ever given by Peter. Now on Christmas we gathered for the birth of a child, Jesus. And today we come together for the birth of the church, the body of Christ. From the upper room in Jerusalem where a bunch of frightened disciples gather together waiting to see what's next, we're gathered here today. And today we celebrate another first, in this case it's a baptism. Now, it is traditional, as you may know, to have baptisms on Pentecost as we welcome another into the fold in the sacrament of death and renewal in the baptismal waters. Now, while we normally witness infant baptisms here with cute kids surrounded by packs of parents and godparents, today we share an adult baptism. And for me, there's something profound about an adult discerning a call to baptism. It's a chance, I think, to witness up close the Holy Spirit working in someone's life. And thank you, Cassandra, for letting us be on this journey with you. Now, Pentecost is more than anything about the Holy Spirit. If you listen to today's readings, saw the dove on the string, on the kite string, the red linens, all speak to the importance of the Holy Spirit. I don't think we're too subtle about that. I don't think Holy Spirit would want it that way. Opinions differ about whether Pentecost is a miracle of speaking or a miracle of hearing. That's what we just heard in the reading in Acts. Were the disciples actually speaking those many languages that we hear? Or were the gathered foreigners hearing their Aramaic translated magically somehow into their own tongues? Now, Willie James Jennings, who's one of my favorite the- theologians, uh, he's based in Yale, and he's a writer of liberationist, of a liberationist reading of the Book of Acts. And he suggests that this is all a very limited view and that it misses the whole point. Pentecost, he argues, is the start of what he calls the revolution of the intimate. The revolution of the intimate. The beginning when God, through Holy Spirit, begins her project of unifying all the nations, of unifying all the peoples, including those gathered in Jerusalem, including us gathered here today. And the revolution starts, as revolutions do, with wind and fire. Now, as we here in Arkansas are well aware, at times nothing's stronger than wind. And fire purifies, fire cleanses, Revolution begins for the disciples in spirit taking hold of one crucial reality of life in language. I mean, think about it. Language is one of the few things that define us as human. Language is also one of the things that separates us, makes us unable to understand each other. In the act of Pentecost, in taking our language, God is touching and taking hold of the tongue and voice, the mind, heart, and body. That's very intimate. You don't get much more intimate than that. By taking our language, Holy Spirit is overcoming our urge to difference and is joining us together. The frightened disciples may have prayed for power over those who crucified their Savior, but here they are joining, getting a joining. They're getting a uniting with just those people. As Jennings points out, this is real grace. This is untamed grace. 
is the grace that replaces our fantasies of power over people with God's plan of our desire for people. And finally, Jennings contends that to speak a language is to speak a people. To speak a language is to speak a people. That by speaking another tongue, you're speaking to the customs, the habits, and concerns of, of another people. It's the language they use with their loved ones, their families. In speaking another language, we are closest to others. It's a revolution of the intimate in both the speaking and the hearing. Now, if you've ever tried to learn another language, you're probably familiar with how vulnerable it can make you feel. Especially if you're learning as a teenager in high school or, or as an adult, you're reduced from the familiar full sentences that we use every day to speaking like babies. It's true. I mean, I remember in my early 20s as I was attempting to learn French, how I felt when this, this tiny eight-year-old girl corrected my mangled attempt to order a loaf of bread. And I was thinking in my head, just give me the dang bread. Just give it. As I threw the coins on the counter, I stormed out. I felt humiliated. I felt stupid. Disciples are at their most vulnerable when they speak those other languages. The Galilean accents give them away. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans, the crowd says? I imagine them mangling a pronunciation or getting a verb tense wrong as they speak those unfamiliar languages. The hearers, they, they understand it, but they also notice how it sounds a bit different. Holy Spirit comes to us in our vulnerability. The disciples wished for a Messiah to overthrow the Romans and restore the kingdom of Israel. Instead, they get wind and fire and a miraculous act of joining together of unity. So Pentecost is also a miracle of hearing, but hearing in a way that brings us together. The pilgrims are gathered in Jerusalem for a harvest festival called the Weeks, Harvest of the, week, uh, the Festival of the Weeks, when they bring the first fruits of the land to the temple. The whole city is filled with unfamiliar sounds and languages. People struggle to communicate as they try to do simple things, like ask for bread, for example. If you've been to a foreign country, you might recognize the comfort that comes from hearing your own language spoken. It creates a real space of comfort, of welcome. And that's what our pilgrims might feel as the Galileans speak their languages. Comfort, closeness. And we are told that they are amazed and astonished. Their first response is wonder at this move toward intimacy by the disciples. Sure, we're also told, and, and this is the part that we generally remember in the story, is the claim that the Galileans were drunk. They are filled with new wine. Now, this is only spoken by a few. The rest are astonished and perplexed, causing them to wonder, what does this mean? Their response to this movement toward unity is to be open, to ask, what does this mean? Pentecost is the inbreaking of God's spirit to join us together, to unify us, to bring us closer. I said last week that left to our own human devices, we'll find excuses to create divisions, to emphasize difference, and then we'll try to control those who are different. Holy Spirit in Pentecost shows us God's purpose, God's desire, and that's for unity. Not sameness. We are each a wonderful, unique child of God, but unity. 
the Wednesday noon book club that, that Deacon Linda is leading just took up Barbara Brown Taylor's latest book, which is called Holy Envy, Finding God and the Faith of Others. It's her reflection on her experience teaching a world religion survey course at Piedmont College in Georgia. She's an Episcopal church who burned out, Episcopal priest who burned out on parish life and surprisingly found herself teaching class at a small liberal arts college in the Appalachian foothills. Now we're, as a group, early into this book, but she's already claimed that she rediscovered her priesthood, she rediscovered her calling in the understanding, teaching, and connecting of all the world's religions. And she pushes back on the superficial claim that all religions are the same. She sees them as wonderfully diverse lenses to see and understand the big existential questions that we're faced. Why are we here? What's our purpose? And she can barely make it through a class on Hinduism or Judaism without wondering if she's secretly a Hindi or a Jew. Now, I find myself very drawn to and equally frightened by interfaith efforts in the church. I'm drawn to them by their spirit of connection, of understanding. It's a key way to build communities, and, and the time is long past in our country when we can remain religiously illiterate with regard to other faiths, because we have become a nation of many faiths. But I'm scared. I'm scared because it puts my faith, my own faith, in a strange light. In the verses just before today's reading from John that Peggy just read, we hear Jesus famously say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now that sounds like a pretty clear message about there being only one single path to salvation, and the way, the truth, the life. But in the spirit of Pentecost and its message of unity, I find myself asking, why wouldn't God make salvation available to everyone in the ways that they need to see God? I mean, who am I to try to understand God's mind? And why wouldn't the Holy Spirit, who makes a bunch of poor Galileans mysteriously speak Parthian and Elamite and Greek and, German and, and Latin and a lot of other languages on a late spring morning in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, why wouldn't that Holy Spirit want for us, above everything else, to be joined together in our humanity, even across faiths? That is a revolution of intimacy, for sure. And just like the Holy Spirit, it surprises that way. In today's Gospel, we hear in Jesus' closing words to his disciples a message of difference, of the Father, of the Son, and of complete unity. Now, unity isn't sameness. We have the persons of God, the Father. We have the person of God, the Son. But it is connection. Jesus says, the Son is in the Father, and the Father is in the Son. That's a deep connection, unlike any other. And Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to remind us of his teachings, his message of unity, a deep connection. Nobody gets left out, no matter who they are. Reaching out over difference can be scary. It's not our natural instinct. But fortunately, we have the Holy Spirit here with us, today and always to remind us of God's endless, radical, unifying grace. The one Jesus told us about when he said, peace I live with, leave with you, my peace I give to you. On this Pentecost, let's celebrate the birthday of the church, 
the baptism of Cassandra, the Holy Spirit's never-ceasing desire for us all to be united, turn toward God and turn toward each other, can be scary. It is But even in our fear, let's try to remember Jesus telling us, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. And in remembering, let's let our fears drift away like on the wings of a dove. Amen. Amen.